Some of you have heard me talk about my call story, about the moment when I first realized that I wanted to be in religious leadership. On a coming-of-age trip in eighth grade, I suddenly realized that this was what I wanted to spend my life doing. Flash of lightning, thunderclap, whole nine yards. Well, sort of. Actually, not at all like that. (laughs) The truth is that although I did go on that coming-of-age trip, and although I did begin to think about religious leadership on that trip and to explore what that might mean for me, there was no great moment, electrical or otherwise. Instead, I would describe it as a kind of awakening over the next 15 years or so, as I continued to think and wonder and research. Perhaps it was that penchant for research that solidified my place in the liberal religious spectrum, where good research is revered above all else. To be perfectly honest, my first thought on that trip was a very prosaic one, that my skills would fit well with a minister's job description. But the truth is, solid research and a good skill set fit aren't exactly the stuff that seminary applications are made of. And so I began, over time, to learn the language of call, the language to describe what it was that I was feeling inside to describe the pull that wouldn't quite go away. The seminary I attended was very big on call stories. And so over the years, my ability to talk about that pull has been further refined. Your call story is kind of the standard seminary pickup line. (laughs) It's really the way to get to know about the person next to you in class or in the dining hall. And so I learned to listen to the different ways that people described that poll, the different ways they talked about why they were quitting their old job or studying far from their family or taking a leap of faith to try out a new life for themselves, a life of religious leadership. My favorite description of call, though, is from Frederick Beekner, a 20th century Presbyterian minister. Beekner described call or vocation as the place where your deep passion meets the world's deep need. His words put vocation in the context of love, of desire. They make clear that we are not asked to do work that we don't want to do, but rather to do the work that we most want to do, the work that fulfills us even as it serves the world. At least that was my favorite description of call before I ran into Felix Adler. Adler, the founder of Ethical Culture, wrote beautifully about the idea of vocation, about the importance of finding meaning in our life through the work that we do. In an ethical philosophy of life, Adler details what he means by vocation. Every vocation, he writes, satisfies some one or more of the empirical human needs. But in the very act or process of doing so, it ought, in order to deserve the name vocation, to satisfy also a spiritual need, to contribute in a specific way toward the formation of a spiritual personality. 
One sees here the use of the word vocation that resonates most clearly with that understanding of call in the religious sense of the word. In the chapters that follow, Adler details the ethical aspects of each profession, describing how they have distinctly spiritual functions, too. The scientist, he writes, like everyone else, becomes a personality by eliciting the potential spiritual nature in other human beings. But be it noted that he is to perform this task as a scientist. Adler had an understanding of the potential for greatness in every vocation, which resonates with his belief in the uniqueness of each person. Robert Guchin, who wrote one of the definitive treatments of Adler's work, clarifies this for us. Adler, he writes, reserves the term vocation for work, occupation, or profession insofar as it is ethicized and ethicizing. In Adler's understanding of the world, every profession offered a new way of eliciting the best from others a new way of engaging with the spiritual and ethical natures of human beings. That is what I love about Adler, this extension of vocation, of call, from the seminary dining hall into the lives of all people. He sets it out as vital to human life. We are all called, according to Adler, all looking for a way to serve and heal the world. It happens in different ways, the first step toward answering your call. For some, it is almost like a gentle breeze rustling some leaves within, a breeze that you could almost ignore, but for some reason, you don't. Over time, it becomes stronger, more insistent, and you begin to consider what it might mean. For others, and I suspect very few of us, the call is clear and loud, and there is no question that the demand must be answered, for there is no other conceivable alternative. Each of us carries clues we gather on our way from youth to not youth to not old to old, kicking them like stones along the path, stooping to examine them and thrust them in our pockets as we go, saying, this thing is a part of me that I cannot deny or leave behind. I believe that I first heard those little whispers of my calling to religious leadership when I was working on my thesis in graduate school. Every time I would sit down in the library to write my thesis on maternal-infant attachment theory, I would find myself inexplicably in the stacks of books on religion and philosophy. I had been an active lay leader here for years by now, and the thought of becoming a religious leader here was not yet in my consciousness, or at least anything I would have recognized as a call. And so nothing seemed to account 
for the fact that religion and congregational life were all that I wanted to think about, read about, write about, talk about, and immerse myself in. I wanted to discover what it is that binds us to each other in religious community and what calls us to serve lives beyond ourselves. Fortunately, and rather miraculously, my thesis advisor allowed me to switch my topic at the very last minute to the role religion plays in people's lives. I had been a legislative assistant for a U.S. senator for 18 years, and I really did enjoy my career here. It was a heady and glamorous place. The issues varied and interesting, the politics exciting, and the office talk stimulating. But over the years, I found that I was increasingly willing myself to love that work. Activist and educator Parker Palmer said that when he was in his 20s, he thought that a calling was something you could will into being. He left his beloved teaching job to be an urban community activist because changing the world was what he thought he ought to do. The results, he tells us, and this is a quote, were rarely admirable, often laughable, and sometimes grotesque. But always, they were unreal, a distortion of my true self, he said, as must be the case when one lives from the outside in and not the inside out. Active in Democratic Party politics for many years, I had thought that I was living out my call on Capitol Hill. But there was, in truth, a growing sense that this was not the life I was meant to live. And I began to understand that it is indeed possible to live a life other than one's own. A call presents a challenge. One part of us wants to awaken, the other wants to roll over and go unconscious. I recently saw a bumper sticker that said, you shall know the truth and it shall make you nap. <laughs> we resist hearing our calls for any number of reasons. The voices outside ourselves telling us that we're not good enough, not smart enough, educated enough, tall enough, and the voices inside ourselves saying the same. Or we say that we'll follow that call once we are rich or once we are happy, or once we are thin. Sometimes it takes a bit of a steam shovel to dig us out from the ten-car pileups of shoulds and ought-tos and ought-nots and resistance and self-doubts we've layered over ourselves. And so, it's no wonder that sometimes these calls get a little muffled. And sometimes we hear those calls loud and insistent, and we actually physically jerk ourselves away, distracting ourselves with our busyness by, say, suddenly discovering that, my God, I haven't cleaned those baseboards for at least seven years, and now's the time. Our resistance gives off busy signals. We're on perpetual call waiting. 
We turn our backs and allow our lives as they are spread before us to go uncared for and unsung. We'll do anything but answer the call. Well, synchronicity, or just plain dumb luck, also seemed to play a part in my path to this work because our then associate leader, Judy Toth, moved a few months later to accept the senior leadership at the St. Louis Ethical Society. And within months of completing my thesis, I found myself working here at WES. Frederick Beckner tells us that if you want to find your vocation, your calling, don't start by looking outward to what the world needs because the world is full of needs and we can lose our way amidst all those needs. Instead, begin your vocational journey by looking inward to your gifts and your yearnings and to what makes your heart deeply glad. The quest to find our vocation brings us back to the practice of listening. It is telling that the word vocation is rooted in the Latin vocare, meaning voice or call. It is also at the root of the word advocacy. Finding one's vocation centers around listening. Listening from an inner voice that can be heard only with the heart. Vocation doesn't mean a goal that I pursue. It means a calling that I hear. Mary and I have different stories about our awakening sense of call in our own lives. And I imagine that if we went around this room, we would find dozens more. Yesterday morning, I saw our new career club begin to gather for their regular weekly meeting, where I know some of the members meet to talk not just about finding the next job, but about finding their vocations, finding that sense of call in their professions and in their lives. What we find ourselves drawn to sometimes changes over a lifetime and yet often retains a deep resonance with who we are, who we always have been. And we do not all find our vocations within our work, of course, or at least within our paid work. There are plenty of us who work at jobs that we enjoy but don't find life fulfilling, or at jobs we don't particularly enjoy but that pay the bills or who are retired, or not working now, or home with children. Just because we don't have an avocation, a profession, doesn't mean we don't have a vocation. Adler himself would have put motherhood, which in this century I'd like to extend to parenthood, pretty high on the list of non-professional vocations. He felt that the call to raise ethical, spiritually aware, kind children was one of the most important ones an adult can follow. He thought that particular vocation was important in a family environment and in a religious community, too, in an ethical society. And indeed, we often find that young parents first come here to Wes because they're looking for a community in which to follow their vocation, 
looking for fellow travelers on the journey of ethical parenthood. <laughs> Beautifully placed, Nicole. <laughs> People also come to West looking for a way to create justice in the world, a call that especially resonates with me. In fact, if you had asked me as a high school student why I was considering ministry as a career, I would have answered rather matter-of-factly that it seemed like the best way to lead a group of people toward doing the right thing in the world. Turns out I still think my high school answer was a pretty good one. I believe strongly that a religious community is one of the most powerful agents for social change that we have. Adler's vision for an ethical society was a place where we don't just raise our children, but we save our world, too. Where men and women of different beliefs are united in our desire to create justice, united in the way that we hear that call to action. For me, that is one of the most important calls of all. The one that is our vocation, not just as religious leaders or even as members of an ethical society, but as human beings. It is the call to action, the call to healing the world, the call to serving each other in love and in hope for justice. It's a call that comes from deep within the human spirit, from that spark of beauty and joy inside us. And the good news is that it's a call we all can answer, no matter what twists and turns our lives take. In our work together as a community, in our daily interactions, in our engagement with the world beyond our doors, we can find a deep sense of vocation in knowing that we are fulfilling our destiny as members of the human race, as humanity joined together to heal the world. As people who hear the call to heal the world, the call to serve each other in love and in hope for justice, know love and justice are closely intertwined, each involving struggle, resistance, and risk. Neither love nor justice are fundamentally warm and fuzzy experiences, nor do they just happen to us. They are about action and vision. Each involves commitment, patience, and a willingness to endure the the discomforts and the disappointments, the myriad of mistakes that we make along the way, and the mundane. If the experience matters to you, you don't always see the rightness of it in the day in and day out of your love, of your life. Love and justice are matters of free choosing. The word decision literally means to cut off. And indeed, to choose a commitment, to make a decision such as those we're talking about, is to elevate one beautiful possibility by cutting off potential others. 
When we commit to our life's calling, when we commit to another person in marriage, there are no guarantees. They make a certain kind of future possible, but you still have to go on choosing them over and over and over again. The world's greatest need may be whichever one happens to shatter your heart at any given moment. But in actuality, it can be found anywhere, even in the person sitting right next to you. And your greatest joy is not, I think, what makes you most happy, that gives you the most pleasure, the most money or leisure or prestige. But instead, it is what makes you whole. Happiness is about serving yourself, but fulfillment Wholeness is about serving others. And that is where we find true joy. But for many of us, we let our life speak, to use Parker Palmer's words, only when the fear of following our calling is finally exceeded by the pain of not doing so. And the question for all of us then is why have so many of us cultivated the ability to withstand the pain of not following the path we know we must? Benjamin Disraeli once said, most people go to their graves with their music still in them. Rabindranath Tagore said, I have spent my days stringing and unstringing my instrument while the song I came to sing remains unsung. There is a cost to letting our songs be left unsung. It is one of the great gifts, in fact, of this community that we can find the challenge and the encouragement here to ask ourselves and each other, is the life you are living the same as the life that wants to live in you? There is such joy in finding that we are living the life we want to live, and also when we enable others to live the lives they want to as well. It is ethical culture's special mandate, I think, to enable others to live the lives they want, to allow the full blossoming of human potential and human good. We work to create justice so that love can flower. And that has been the heart of our work this year and for many decades in this community. Wes has been officiating at same-sex ceremonies since the 1970s, but our excitement has built this year as it became clear that we had a chance to help with the movement toward full marriage equality in the District of Columbia. Through Mary's and my involvement in the Interfaith Coalition, DC Clergy United for Marriage Equality, through your attendance at rallies and interfaith services, through the participation of more than 40 West members, teens and children at the National Equality March in October, this has been a year of fighting for justice for and with the LGBTQ community. Our work in this way has been aligned with the National Leaders Council focus, 
part of our national movement's belief in the dignity and beauty of every person. Marriage equality became law in the District of Columbia on March 3rd. And today, we have a chance to celebrate this historic moment in a very personal way, as Mary officiates at the first legal same-sex wedding in this building, that of West members and parents, Julie Drizzen and Ellen Kahn. felt the minute I said marriage, you started squirming in your seats getting ready for that moment. Our children are going to be joining us for this, and so I hope they're on their way up. Do we know? <laughs> when they come up, we ask that parents turn and find your child, welcome them to join you in, in your seat. It's hard for our children to locate their parents by the backs of their heads. So... We'll have just a little moment as we get ready. I want to mention this. Mark and Mark McCallery and Brooke Ridley. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Want to do that right now? Sure. Okay. I want to acknowledge as our children are joining us that we have another couple here who was married this past week by one of our officiants. Mark McElreath, McElreath and Bert Kubley are here and they were married. <laughs> so joy is just beginning this morning, my friends. So I invite Julie and Ellen and Ruby and Jasper to come to the front of the room, please. We gather this morning called by the power of love love that mourns and is comforted, love that grows even when hearts are broken, love that risks loving again and again. We gather called by love to care for one another, to hold one another's hands and hearts with tenderness. We gather to answer love's call, with all our hearts, our minds, our voices. We gather to be love in this room, in this community, and in the world. It is my great joy to turn now to this celebration today. To everyone here I say, let your hearts be 
glad. For a long time, members of this community, Julie Drizzen and Ellen Kahn, mothers of Ruby and Jasper, and committed and devoted partners for 20 years, are going to be legally married today. more excited this day, <laughs> this day when love has finally triumphed, love wins <laughs> in this nation's capital, this day that has finally come, for the honor inherent in giving one's promises in marriage, sanctified by a public ceremony, and the receiving of that gift belongs to everyone and to all of us together. Ellen and Julie, you have been lovingly committed to each other for a long time. You know the deep and abiding love you have one for the other. And yet, we will do those things old and new appropriate to such an occasion. Say those solemn words to confirm a new covenant and to recognize in this event the important place of family, friends, and the larger human community. Ellen and Julie, thank you for inviting us to witness this public <laughs> declaration of the private commitment that you have already made to one another all these years. Through your witness, we, too, renew our faith in the power of love, which holds us and nurtures us and makes us one in spite of time, death, and all the space between the stars. Now, the first time Julie met Ellen, Ellen was organizing the AIDS quilt project that was traveling from D.C. to Philadelphia. Julie was producing the morning show in Philly and called Ellen, a well-known lesbian and AIDS activist, for an interview. Ellen was immediately taken. <laughs> with this beautiful feminist activist with the wild curly hair and high-top sneakers. Not too long after this initial encounter, an applications to volunteer for the AIDS Buddy Program came across Ellen's desk, a buddy program that Ellen managed and had been involved with for some time. Ellen reports that she stared at Julie's application for a long time, <laughs> strategizing in her mind how she might get to know this very intriguing woman. She picked up the phone and invited her to the next training. <laughs> they dated for a long time, but it was within a month after Ellen cooked dinner for Julie's 26th birthday that they both knew that this was the one. When I asked them what drew them together, it was the fact that beyond being political kindred spirits, they never stop making each other laugh. 
Julie had a job offer <laughs> here. Ellen was finishing her master's degree, and they moved to Capitol Hill in 1993. And it was a hard couple of years adjusting to this place because they left a huge circle of friends. And for some reason, they seemed to only meet interesting people walking their dog in the congressional cemetery, they report. <laughs> so they were looking. They were in search for connection and eventually found Wes. Ruby and then Jasper were born and embraced by this community. Ellen and Julie wanted to do this ceremony during a platform on this day with the people who mean so much to them, but who they didn't know 13 years ago. Ruby and Jasper, you are blessed by the love of your mothers with a love that knows no bounds. You are also so important to this community, to your friends in the Sunday school, and all the adults who watch you and applaud you and are cheering for you as you grow. Your moms wanted to say something special to you this morning. Girls, when Mama and I had our commitment ceremony in 1997, as a way of um, moving into the chapter of our lives where we would parent together, we could not have imagined the richness and joy and beauty you have brought to our lives and the way you've strength, strengthened and enriched our relationship. We are very lucky. Now I'm gonna cry. <laughs> Rudy and Jasper, you are our jewels. You are the chambers of our heart. We love you with a fierceness and a tenderness that we can't even describe. And the reason why we're doing this today is in part for you, so that you will have a family that is recognized like other families. And in part, um, not for you, in part just for us, so that you may know how mommy and I feel towards each other, and the, the, the love and the fierceness and the tenderness of our love for each other, which may not be something that you know on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> Despite evidence to the contrary sometimes. <laughs> but we want you to know about the nature of our relationship and our love for each other and to know that we were together as a couple before you and one day you will leave the nest and go on and fall in love and make families of your own perhaps and Ellen and I will still be together and have each other. These years together with you are the best years of our lives. The founder of our movement, Dr. Felix Adler, said, those whom we love are not given to us merely for our joy and happiness. Their truest calling consists in being to us the revealers of the divine. They quicken in us the seed of a better thought. They help us become more equal to the standard of our own best insight and grow into our truer selves. May the two of you continue to find each other and grow together in every stage of life ahead. 
It is time to say the pledges, which will affirm your marriage union. As you know so well, it is not to these lofty words or to any institution that we appeal at this hour of commitment, but rather to the resources which you two draw from, from deep within yourselves, the deep well of human need, the need to love united and loving and complete before a broken and imperfect world. So glad you're taking each other's hands. Look at each other and remember this moment. Ellen, please repeat after me. I, Ellen, accept you, Julie, as you are. I, Ellen, accept you, Julie, as you are. Seeking your unique and beautiful spirit. Seeking your unique and beautiful spirit. Respecting your individuality and your integrity. Respecting your individuality and your integrity. Caring about your needs and sharing your dreams. Caring about your needs and sharing your dreams. With faith in your true and lasting love for me. With faith in your true and lasting love for me. I, Ellen. I, Ellen. Now embrace you, Julie. Now embrace you, Julie. In legal marriage. In legal marriage. <laughs> and now, Julie, please repeat after me. I, Julie, accept you, Ellen, as you are. I, Julie, accept you, Ellen, as you are. Seeing your unique and beautiful spirit. Seeing your unique and beautiful spirit. Respecting your integrity and individuality. Respecting your integrity and individuality. Caring about your needs and sharing your dreams. Caring about your needs and sharing your dreams. With faith in your true and lasting love. For me. With faith in your true and lasting love for me. I, Julie, now embrace you, Ellen. I, Julie, now embrace you, Ellen. In legal marriage. In legal marriage. And now together, in joy and in struggle, in laughter and tears. In joy and in struggle, in laughter and in tears. In work and in play, in sickness and in health. In work and in play, in, in sickness, sickness and in health as equal partners and, par and parents in this adventure called life. As equal partners and parents in this adventure called life. Ruby and Jasper, would you please give the rings to me? <laughs> Thank you. Julie and Ellen, the ring is an outward sign of the promises made and the love running beneath them, expressing invisible form the unbroken circle of your love to which wherever you go, you may always return. You give each other rings as a symbol of the riches that reside in each of you to remind you that love is precious and that we should be more careful of love than of anything else. Ellen, please take Julie's left hand and give her this ring as you repeat after me. That's the wrong ring. Oh, wrong ring. Hold on. 
I give you this ring. I give you this ring. As a symbol of my love. As a symbol of my love. And with all that I am and all that I will be. And with all that I am and all that I will be. I marry you and join my life to yours. I marry you and join my life to yours. Julie, please take Ellen's left hand and give her this ring as you repeat after me. I give you this ring. I give you this ring. As a symbol of my love. As a symbol of my love. And with all that I am. And with all that I am. And all that I will be. And all that I will be. I marry you and join my life to yours. I marry you and join my life to yours. Julie and Ellen have chosen each other from the many women of this world, <laughs> have declared their love before this gathering, and have made their pledge to each other as symbolized by the holding of hands and the giving and receiving of rings. As Julie said to me, this is a small step for them beyond where they already are, but a giant step for humanity and in the struggle for equality and justice. And so now, in the company of these loving witnesses, and by the power granted to me by the American Ethical Union and the District of Columbia, I, I pronounce you, Julie Drizzen, and Ellen Kahn, legally married. You may kiss each other. Amanda and me in repeating those words. Yeah, sit with your community. This litany comes to us adapted from words by Reverend Karen Brow of Luther Place Memorial Church. It will be shared in congregations all across the city in the coming weeks who have supported marriage equality in the District of Columbia. The religious impulse is love, and love is for everyone. It is in this spirit that we raise our voices in the struggle for the right and freedom to marry. It is in this spirit that we now rejoice with all couples in our communities and congregations who now are able to marry in Washington, D.C. We celebrate the gift of love. This has been a lengthy struggle. People of faith have worked alongside activists for years to reach this milestone in D.C. We are thankful for all who have labored tirelessly toward this effort. We celebrate the gift of love. We join co-leader of D.C. Clergy for Marriage Equality, Reverend Dennis Wiley, in proclaiming, Love has won out over fear. Equality has won over justice. Faith has won out over despair. We celebrate the gift of love. 
we see the spirit of life, the spirit of human dignity, bringing us toward wholeness in our families and in our communities. We see before us pathways of justice and peace in our neighborhoods and in our city. Today, with joy, we celebrate the gift of love. Julie, Ellen, may the sun of many days and years shine upon you. May the love you have for one another continue to grow and hold you close. And may the good, true light within you guide your way on together. And now it's time to sing. <laughs> Our song today is an old melody with many different verses. We sing of the call to justice, vocation in our lives, and we sing, of course, of love. Eyes if you choose. We have justice, we have wedding cake. Won't you celebrate with us? 